mention is Liberty Begins at Home. And last week we talked about the, the fortress of our home, um, that we can create a haven of peace and calm in the storm, in our own lives, in our own hearts, and in our homes, and our sphere of influence as well. So with Liberty Begins at Home, we're going to delve in a little bit more to what that means and how we can create that foundation of liberty in our homes. So I am going to start the presentation here. Everything is clicked. Excellent. Okay. So this is presentation two in the Cottage Meeting Resource Guide. If you guys have that, uh, it's page 25. If you do not have it, you can get it online on our website, either digitally or you can uh, get a hard copy. And I, this isn't me just trying to sell a product. I'm just telling you guys, this, <laughs> this book is amazing. It is a compilation of all of the things that inspired us as we were trying to figure out what the heck is going on in our country and what can we do about it. So it has all the great, the best books, resources, quotes, um, topics to, to, to discuss, articles. It's all here. So I obviously cannot get to everything in this presentation. And the way that we have designed the Cottage Meeting Resource Guide is it can be done um, over and over again. You can take the one presentation, Liberty Begins at Home, and you can discuss that in like five different ways. But we're just going to follow the basic outline today and then I'm pulling in some other things from some other areas of future presentations that you could do because they're so good and it really applies to what's happening today. So um, what home is society will be? We talked about that last week that home, that society, a nation is, is but a magnified home. And whatever we're creating in our home is what America will look like 10, 20, 30 years from now. So if we don't like what's happening in the media, if we don't like what's being taught in the schools, if we don't like any of the things that are happening in our country, not just not just uh, places of government or elected representatives, I'm talking about every aspect of our society from news anchors to teachers to uh, administrators to hospitals to um librarians i mean everything that that's out there that's 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 going crazy we have the ability to turn it around literally in one generation by raising a nation of patriots in our home that will fill all of those positions and one of the problems that we have had in the past is that we've walked away we as as people of faith or people with you know moral values we're like you know that hollywood thing that's not for us or you know we're going to just going to step out of all of these cultural influences well when that happens there isn't just a void that sits there empty it gets filled with other things and what we're seeing is a result of those other things filling the void so home is the great conservator of good the Seedling Place of Virtue. This comes from a book called Our Home by C.E. Sargent. He wrote this book in the late 1800s. We're going to talk more about the stories during that time, but it's called The Golden Age of Literature, the late 1800s and early 1900s, when authors wrote, not just in school classroom curriculum, but across the spectrum, they wrote to promote these principles and values in the hearts and minds of children so that they would rise up to be a powerful force for good. And the result of that was the greatest generation. And one of the things that we say all the time is that we don't believe the greatest generation is over. We believe it is before us, not behind us. And we are raising that great generation now. So the finish of this quote, it says, home is the great conservator of good, the seedling place of virtue. It is the origin of all civilization. The words uttered in doctrines taught around the fireside are the influences that shape the destinies of empires. It is the influence of home that live in the life of kingdoms, while parental counsel repletes itself in the voices of republics. We would impress upon the minds of our readers this grand truth, and would that we might thunder it to the ears of all mankind, that a nation is but a magnified home. Okay, so I say it all the time. I took it from him, but it's a cool quote. <laughs> home grows grown patriots. Okay, this is how we do this. What we create in our home, the experiences that we provide for our children, those are all things that are going to help our, our children understand, and we ourselves, what America is really about and why it's worth fighting for. It's a great quote by Herbert Hoover. If we could have but one generation of properly born, trained, educated, and healthy children, a thousand problems of government would vanish. That 
is so, so true. Okay, so we're going to talk about the foundation of liberty. Um, and I, I want, as, as we roll into that, I want to talk about um, opposition, okay? Uh, we have opposition in, in all things in our lives. And that opposition helps us to understand and to appreciate the, the good things in life. For instance, if we were always healthy, we never got sick. Would we appreciate being healthy? Would we even recognize that we were? If we never broke a leg, and we don't have to break a leg to understand the, the importance of legs, but just thinking about what if I didn't have them makes you start to think, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful for my legs. Um, there, there are simple things in life that we face every day that create an opposition. We had a good day. We had a bad day. Wow, we really appreciated that good day. I had a bad hair day the other day and I'm appreciating today because I have a good hair day. Okay, so it's it's those it's those little things that we start to recognize when we may not have even known that they were there before. I remember um, years ago, I I had I started to have like enormous enormous pain in in my abdomen, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And okay, it's it's kind of a funny story, but don't judge me. So I I it, the pain got to be so bad one night. I I went in and I took a bath and it was warm water and and everything calmed down and and it went away. And I was like, man, that was weird. And then I got up and I got dressed and I went into bed and five minutes later, it started again. And the pain got to be so excruciating. I was like, okay, something's wrong. I'm gonna have to go to the emergency room. And I rolled over. It's like two o'clock in the morning. My husband's asleep. He's got to get up in the morning at six o'clock to go, you know, he's in the air force, go do his thing. And I don't want to wake him. So I just go down and I, you know, get in the car and Hubert, the, the um, Huber Heights was about um, 15 minutes from us. And the, the Air Force Base where I go to the emergency room was about 25 minutes. By the time I got to Huber Heights, I was in so much pain and I had this horrible heart palpitations, horrible pain in my chest. And my sister had had a heart attack just a couple years earlier. And I'm like, oh my gosh, am I having a heart attack? What is going on right now? I was so freaked out. And I remember just being on the side of, of, of pulling over to the side of the road and just saying a prayer and saying, God, please just help me make it to the hospital. Please help me make it to the hospital. I get, I, I got back on the road and I literally barely made it to the hospital. And I opened the door, fell out of the car and somebody who was passing by took me into the emergency room and they started running all these tests on me. They gave me nitro and all this other kind of stuff. And I'm like, what is going on? And I'm like, I was a perfectly healthy person. You don't just have a heart attack. Right. And so finally um, it, it calms down. And it, I fall asleep and I woke up about, it was about 5.30 in the morning. I woke up and the doctors came in and they said, well, it's not your heart. We checked everything. So we immediately went to your gallbladder. And I'm like, my, my what? <laughs> it's in your, your gallbladder. Um, when you have an, an, an infected or septic gallbladder, it has the same symptoms of a heart attack. And I was like, I didn't even know I had a gallbladder. What is it? What does it do? <laughs> you know, it causes a lot of problems when it's not working. That's what it does. So um, anyway, so I, I, they, they scheduled me for surgery. They said, well, um, this is just going to get worse. So it's fine now. You could go home, but you know, if it happens again, if it ruptures, I'm like, yeah, okay, let's just do this now. So they scheduled me for surgery the next day. But before I knew exactly what it was, I called my husband. It was around six o'clock. I called him. And I said, um, they're still running tests. Um, well, first he's like, where are you? I could just see him looking over on the side of the bed and going, what the heck is going on right now? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm, everything's fine. I'm in the emergency room. They think I might've had a heart attack. What? How did you get to the hospital? <laughs> and I was like, well, I drove myself. <laughs> so anyway, by the time, so he jumps down to the hospital. By the time he got there, they knew what it was. And I was having surgery the next day. So he had a big laugh going to work and telling everybody that my wife drove herself to the hospital having a heart attack. And I'm like, okay, in my defense, I wasn't having a heart attack. And I didn't know I was having a heart attack. And I didn't want to wake you up. I know the whole story is I had no idea that a gallbladder was even there. Now I know 
And now all the complications from not having a gallbladder, I really appreciate the fact that I used to have one. So it's just one of those things that you, you don't even recognize what you don't have until you don't have it. And it's the reason why everybody's looking now and saying, wait a second, what about freedom? What happened to that when they were shutting down all the churches, when they're they're demanding that everybody takes a, a vaccine that's, that, that, that puts something in their body? And all of these things that, that have been happening over the course of the last three years is an absence of freedom. And what our founding families had hoped was that we would learn from them and their experiences and not have to learn ourselves. And unfortunately, we're learning the pain of of losing freedom. And so now we have to figure out, okay, how do we hold the line and how do we get it back? And, and that's the whole point of this presentation. So I just wanna kind of go over in the beginning of, of each one of these cottage meetings, it has a purpose and it has points that we're gonna discuss, okay? So the purpose of the presentation is to introduce the significant role of the home and family in society, introduce the pillars of liberty, which I'm about to do, and establish the print that the principle of liberty um, and that liberty begins in the home. So home is the center of society. Women are the center of the home. So if we are going to change society, we have to start with ourselves and our home. And sometimes that takes a little bit of sacrifice and sometimes it takes a little bit of work. And it's right now we're finding that we're all having to make choices in our lives. All these choices are before us. What do I want to do to have safe, my children be safe? What do I want to do to be able to promote those principles and values in the hearts of my children, in our home, and, and create that calm in the storm? So it's not about whether your children are going to public school, private school, homeschool. It doesn't matter because the influences, as we said last week, are everywhere. So all we have to decide is what we're going to do about it. What kind of environment are we going to create? What kind of principles are we going to teach? All right. So we're going to jump back into presentation here. And so the foundation of liberty created by our founding families was nurtured in the home as parents planted seeds of faith, virtue, and patriotism. And those are the three pillars of liberty. And, and liberty and freedom can prosper in any environment. Liberty and li freedom can prosper in China, but you have to have those three elements. And, and why is it that those elements are so important is uh, the topic of discussion for today. So we're going to start with faith. There's this great quote by President D Dwight D. Eisenhower, and I cannot say it any better. Without God, there could be no American form of government nor an American way of life. Recognition of the supreme being is the first, the most basic expression of Americanism. So we can ask, why is that? What, why is it that that's the, the greatest expression, the first and most basic expression of Americanism? Well, if we go back and we understand the history, which we will as we go through um, this course, we will understand that God was central to this nation, to the founding of the nation. If you guys had an opportunity to watch Monumental last week, then you would see just how it is that 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 was fostered in the country. So when they came here, the, the pilgrims already had freedom when they went to Holland. People don't know that. They went to Holland and they had freedom. They also had an enormous amount of debauchery, which they weren't really happy about. And they were concerned about what their children were going to learn. And they were starting to be oppressed again because of their um, kind of thing today. Oh, you're just this, or you're just that. You're too tight. You're too, you're too conservative. You're too Christian. You're too virtuous. And you know, it's like everything good they're making bad. And that's what they were doing. Well, those, those families, they wanted to do something that was going to um, especially the mothers, they wanted to make sure that their children had a good solid foundation in the principles and values that they wanted them to be raised on. So they came to America, which wasn't anything but a bunch of woods. <laughs> there was no food there except for what they brought with them. They had no idea how to live on the land. They went to the store when they got food, They're not the stores like we have today, but they went to the shops to get what they their needs. And can you imagine going to the store today and, and suddenly it's not there? And what do you do? And so they had they had what they had and, and what skills they, they could share. And they built that foundation there and, and they learned valuable principles, very valuable principles while they were there. 
And one of those principles was nurturing that, that faith in something bigger than yourself. It wasn't enough. There were other lessons they had to learn, which we'll talk about in other presentations. But that faith was the foundation. That was what held them through the most difficult times. It was a belief in something bigger than themselves, a belief in the God, the creator. It, it, it was a powerful, powerful um, way to help them navigate through very, very challenging, difficult times. The second pillar is virtue. John Adams said that public virtue cannot exist in a nation without private virtue, and public virtue is the only foundation of republics. So the difference between public and private virtue, we'll, we'll go into that more later, but I want to just give you a, a kind of a, a solid um, understanding of what that means. So private virtue is what are the choices we make individually for ourselves. Um, that's that's a completely personal decision and personal in, the, in within our family. Public virtue is the golden rule. <laughs> Love thy neighbor as thyself. Um, one of the, the quotes that we use all the time, which is the, it is, is the motto for Moms for America, is a quote by Thomas Jefferson. Adore God, reverence and cherish your parents, love your neighbor as yourself and your country more than yourself. That's what public virtue is. Public virtue is not putting necessarily others before yourself. It's taking care of yourself and thinking about others while you're doing it. And when you have the ability to help those others. So the government has this idea that we're going to take from you to give other to other people because they need it more than you. That's not public virtue. That's that's grand theft. <laughs> so it, it's these choices that we make individually and then within our sphere of influence, what we do with those choices. The third pillar is patriotism. George William Custis said a man's country is not a certain area of land mountains, rivers, and woods, but it is a principle, and patriotism is loyalty to that principle. So in in our country, I mean, I think about all the other countries around the world, and I wonder what would patriotism be like if, if it's loyalty to a principle? And I remember, um, that's about, it was during the Tea Party time, uh, I was at an event where there was a big convention and they had the tea party was just like launching like crazy and and the world was interested and they had all these world reporters um, from from different organizations that came and and were asking us questions and I did an interview with a French reporter and she was asking me what is this tea party thing you know what 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 is this all about and I I told her you know why it was what we were standing for fighting for and that kind of thing and she said we need that in France. And I said, I'm sorry, what? And she said, um, well, we don't have your constitution, but but what we did have was a strong national connection where we had stories and uh, a patriotism for um, where we came from and our history and our heritage. And she said, they don't teach that anymore. We don't have that anymore. We're so disconnected. And I was like, wow, okay. Well, I can, that was the first time that I thought, you know, another country could have patriotism to a principle. And when you look back at the history of France, they had some pretty good principles that they fought for. Uh, the French Revolution didn't go so well. It wasn't based on good sound principles, but the idea of why they wanted to was. And they just made a wrong decision and ended up with a dictator. And anyway, that's a whole other story. So, but the, but the point is, um, you have to have those three ingredients, faith, virtue, and patriotism to be able to have freedom, believe in something bigger than yourself, have virtue within yourself and a public virtue within your community and patriotism, loyalty to that principle. And in the United States of America, we have the greatest principle ever, freedom for everyone, justice for all, equality. It, it's every equal justice, equal freedom, equal opportunity. You, everybody has the same thing. It, it doesn't matter what, preferences we have, what political persuasions we are, none of those things matter. The Constitution of the United States protects those principles and values. And that is the reason why the Constitution of the United States is under attack. Okay, so now I wanna talk a little bit about the negative things that are happening 
um, because we can see if 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 these are simple things. And I I remember talking to somebody and I was at a um a speaking engagement a few years back, and I was talking to someone about this the simple things. So we have you know three ingredients. Uh, at the time we were we were pushing one two three ingredients to save America. Three things to save America, and it was have family dinner. Uh, read a story, 30 minute story uh, out of, you know, any of the the books that, that we recommend. And, and a great one is Mara Pratt's uh, book. It's was written in that golden age of literature. And it's just very short stories that you can share with your children at night before they go to bed or at the dinner table. And then five minutes in the Bible, just do those three things. They're like, well, what about elections? What, what, what about policy? I'm like, okay, well, who determines elections? The voters. If you have a nation of people who have no faith, no virtue, no patriotism, how's that going to work in elections? And what a public policy? Who designs the policy? <laughs> Same thing. So every aspect of our society is determined by who we are as a people. And when we look at elections and we look and see who is being elected, it's a reflection of our society as a whole and the virtue in which our society finds itself. So that's that's a pretty hefty statement, but very true. In 19, I'm going to get the, the year wrong. I'm going to look here real quick. Um, 1963. In 1963, a member of Congress introduced current communist goals into the congressional record. 1963. This comes out of a book called The Naked Communist. And I think that Jolene and Al, or maybe just Jolene, uh, they are going to be doing a series on the Naked Communist um, sometime next year, which is going to be really good. I think it starts in February. So that is going to be a class I highly recommend. Because then if you, like like I say, and when we go out and do the presentations, if you do not know who the enemy is, then and you don't have a, a healthy respect for the enemy, then you're not going to be able to win and beat the enemy. So if you know what you're fighting, then you then you have the right tools and resources to be able to fight against it. So in No Place Like Home on page 37, we list the communist goals. So if you have the resource guide, it's page 37. I'm not going to read all of them, but I would, I, I if uh, uh, Tressie, if you could just send out the communist goals to them so that they can read them for themselves, you will see that we have hit almost every single one. So for two decades, people looked at me like a tin, a, a helicopter parent with a tinfoil hat. And every time I talk about communism, they'd like roll their eyes. Well, there is a guy who wrote a book called None Dare Call It Conspiracy. He wrote it in the early 1970s, I think it was 1971. And he did so because all these people around him, I think he was either a professor or he was going to college. I can't remember what it was, but everybody around him was talking about the communists are coming, the communists are coming. And that was a big thing in the 60s. And if you remember the, the Bay of Pigs and some of the other things that were going on at that time, I mean, duck and cover was a, was a real thing. Like ducking and covering was going to protect you from a nuclear bomb, but, you know, made them feel like they were doing something. But that was, there were a lot of things like that was a big conversation about communists taking over our country. And I won't spend a lot of time talking about it, but I will tell you that there were people within our own government that worked for FDR and, and other presidents that were active communists that were infiltrating their little ideas a little bit at a time while everybody was worried about the big communist explosion. And they have been doing it in incremental levels over the course of time. So this guy, he's hearing all of these people talking about the communist takeover, communist takeover. And he's like, I'm so tired of hearing these people talking about this. I'm going to go and I'm going to prove these people wrong. So after a nine-month exhaustive research of trying to prove the kooks wrong, he ended up proving the kooks right. And he wrote a book called None Dare Call It Conspiracy. And he names names. And, and you can it's only 129 pages. And you look through the whole entire book and you can see how this has been a a slow and steady incremental plan to completely destroy America. Just tear it apart, shred the constitution, tear down the Republic, enslave the American people and ultimately kill God. That's the objective. When you look at everything that they're doing, their whole entire plan and, and orchestrating it, that is the ultimate objective is to kill God. 
So how can you kind of have faith, virtue, and patriotism if you've knocked one of them right off the bat? And then you go after the virtue of the people. And then you start to tell them that America is a horrible place. This is what the communism communists have done. So in the beginning of his book, None Dare Call It Conspiracy, he says the objective of every conspiracy is to convince everyone else there is no conspiracy. So you can you can claim anything you want, but if you start to expose the conspiracy, that's when they start coming after you with all kinds of names, with all kinds of threats. And so Moms for America is in the news all the time as this horrible organization that's trying to protect our children and raise patriots. And they even come out and say that. Definitely. They say that exact quote. And I'm like, scratching my head going, okay, I, I that's great. <laughs> so Kansas, uh, there was a Topeka, Kansas newspaper just came out with an article and they said um, that the moms from America is a major problem. And they basically said they fear us because we have all these people that are coming in and running for school board offices that not the normal person. These are just angry parents and they come in and they, they, they change everything. And we're like, Okay, <laughs> what's the problem here? So the reason why that's happening is because these moms aren't just angry. If they were just angry, they wouldn't care because they could take that anger and they could channel it into their direction. They are coming educated, informed, empowered, and supported and trained. So they don't like that. They just want the good little head nodders to sit on the school board meetings. So I'm going to go over the communist goals, just some of them. I'm going to start with 13. Capture one or both of the political parties in the United States. Done? Check that one. They have one completely and they have the other one halfway. And if it weren't for the Freedom Caucus and the few handful of conservatives that we have in the House and the Senate, we wouldn't have anything left. Um, 17. Get control of the schools. Use them as transmission belts for socialism and current communist propaganda. Soften the curriculum. Get control of the teachers, like in the teachers union. Um, get control of the teachers associations. Put the party line in the textbooks. You guys don't know this. Most of, nobody hardly anybody knows this except for the very few small handful of people that were involved. California and Texas are in a constant battle for the textbook wars. You may know that. Uh, California and Texas have the most students in the country. Texas has just overpowered California. So it's a very, very important state. And what happens is the textbook companies, they look at what the standards are in Texas because they have the most students and they used to go back and forth from Texas to California and they still do, but they're really focusing on California now because this is one of the goals. They want to get the party line in the textbooks. So there is a thing, I think it's called baccalaureate. I, I'll have to um, confirm that, but it, it is a, it's basically the communist agenda in curriculum. Social emotional learning. Those three words together, they should never be combined together. And when they are, it should send shivers up your spine. Social, emotional learning. That's what they did in Hitler and Hitler's uh, regime. That's what they did in the, in the communist regime in, in Russia and communist. So what is it? Socialist, socialist. I can't remember. When I grew up, it was the SS, USSR, USSR, United Socialist Socialist Republic. That's what it was. And, and while we didn't um, do the duck and cover, it, it was an emotional duck and cover. I mean, the whole entire time I was going through school in the 80s, it was like everybody was afraid of Russia. It was like USSR. Oh, my gosh. They're, they're going to bomb us. It was like everybody was, I mean, literally, you lived every day thinking that red button was going to be pushed because that's what was they were saying in the media. And that's what was being taught in schools. And so it, I mean, it wasn't like I, I, it's probably the same way that the duck and cover, you know, you duck and cover and then you get back up on your desk and do your math work. You know, it was kind of like that, but, but it was an umbrella that hung over us the whole entire time. And I was growing up through my generation. So this, this agenda has been slowly infiltrating into the books. So in August of last year, um, which would have been, depending on when you're watching this video, <laughs> it would have been August of 2021. We found out that the the current at that time school board 
state school board was going to be redoing the, the standards and they call them TEKS, essential, um, Texas Essential Knowledge Standards. They were gonna be redoing them. And they, they were putting in this whole entire communist agenda. It was social emotional learning, comprehensive, uh, comprehensive sex education, critical race theory. It's, it's all under social emotional learning, which is all under this communist platform. And they were trying to get it pushed into the textbooks. And when we found out about it, we, we rallied together with it, with several other groups, created a coalition. And by the grace of God and two votes, we stopped it. Now, what you don't know is that once those standards are adopted, that's what goes into the textbooks. Every single textbook that every child in the country has for 12 years. So we just gave ourselves a 12 year hold, but they're gonna come back. It'll take a little bit longer because we've taken over the state school board. So we'll 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 see but, but but you don't give up. You keep watching. So they have succeeded in 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 that agenda right there. Gain control of all student newspapers. Done. Check off the box. Use student riots to foment public protests against programs or organizations which are under communist attack. There are three horrible heinous the most vile of human beings, if you can call them human, who were the, the, the biggest despots of our time in modern times, Hitler, Stalin, and Mao. And while all three of them are horrible and did horribly tragic, inhumane things, the worst is Mao. And we don't talk about him enough. What he did is he, he was losing control. The original freedom fighters, if you want to call them that, revolutionaries who were going from the emperor to con to uh, communism, uh, they ran the country for about 20 years. Um, around the 10, 12-year mark, they started to not really like Mao very much. He was gaining too much control. He was being overbearing. They just They wanted him out, and they were about to vote him out, if you can do that in the communist regime. Well, he didn't like that. And so he had a plan. And I'm just going to be the Reader's Digest of the plan was he closed down the schools. He wrote a book called The Little Red Book. He passed it out to all the schools and all these clubs that he created, contrary to the schools. Everybody, all these kids were taught out of this red book. And then there was the Red Guard. When you think about the Red Guard, you guys probably think, you know, an, an army of men with um, weapons to the hilt. Um, that's not who the Red Guard was. The Red Guard, they were children children as young as six seven eight years old carrying guns and a red book and they were completely indoctrinated into the communist idea and the goal was to destroy everything old so he he put his wife in charge of ridding the country of all western influences he convinced the the, the youth of the of the country that the old people it was it, it was it was old it was out of date all of their papers their documents their ideas and so they tore down statues they defaced property they burned documents they burned historic buildings they they took the, the older people the older men who had were the original fighters for for their revolution and they put signs around their neck that, that called them traitors because they weren't communist enough. And they paraded them through the streets with these signs, beating them with sticks because they weren't communist enough. And then when Mao had complete control of the country, he then had to restore peace because there was so much chaos and violence and things were burning. And so he killed millions of his own people, the children who fought the fight. Because the first thing, historically, if you look through history, the first thing that any dictator is going to do is get rid of everybody who got them there. Hitler did it. The guy who was in charge of, he was the head of the, of the Socialist Party. The moment that Hitler gained control, he disappeared. Lenin disappeared. He was there for a spit, and then Stalin came in and took over. I mean, this is how it works. And so this is where we're heading. And, and the tragedy of China is that the, the grandchildren of those kids that did that, that, that purged the country of all the Western influences and all their hist history and heritage, 
their grandchildren were the ones who stood in Tiananmen Square fighting for the things that their grandparents threw away. So I want to make sure that we're not going to head down that same road because the issue that we're facing right now is, is not the government or school boards or any of these things. It's that American, the, the, the citizens of this country, families of America, the individual people have no idea what America is about or why it's worth fighting for. And they're fighting for things that they're going to regret once they have them, because that is what happens in every single society. That was the result of the French Revolution. It was just taking away one oppressive regime and introducing another one. That's not what we want, but that's where we're headed. And that's what our children think they're going to get. That's what the citizens of this country think that that communism and socialism is. It's this utopia where everyone's going to have food. Everyone's going to have health care. Everyone's going to have a car. Who's going to pay for that? Who's going to pay for that? There's a great book I found the other day, and I was going to, I was, I'm going to have to have Tracy share it with you because um, I, my children, my grandchildren are reading it, and I couldn't find it. I just happened upon it, and it's, and it talks about this. It's a children's picture book that that lays this out in such a great way, and it just talks about how this this guy had an island and, or came on the island. He was a fisherman. He came up with this great idea on how to do a net. He caught all these fish, and and he started to uh, trade the fish. Well, the 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 chief of the island said he didn't like that because everybody was he was getting too much. He was getting too rich, and and not everybody was was getting could afford the fish, and so he would take half his fish and he would give them away to all the people. And, and then all the, several of the people who had businesses started to be concerned. Well, is the farmer, is he going to come take my food? Is the sheep herder, is he going to come take my sheep? And so they became concerned. Well, after a while, um, the, the, the fisherman said, this is crazy. I'm going to go to another island. So he went to another island and one by one, all the other people started to follow him. And then there was the chief of the island all by himself. It's such a great story. And when you read, I read it, read it to my granddaughters the other night, and they were like, wow, this is, this is the chief is not, he didn't do a good thing. <laughs> like, let's talk about that. So it's a great way to start a conversation with our kids. And even as an adult, it was like, this is a really good story. We should, we should share this. Okay, I'm going to run through some of the other communist goals real quick. Um, infiltrate the press, get control of book review assignments, editorial writing, and policy-making positions. Done. Check that one off. Gain control of key positions in radio, TV, and motion pictures. Done. Continue discrediting American culture by degrading all forms of artistic expression. An American communist cell was told to eliminate all good sculpture from parks and buildings. Substitute shapeless, awkward, and meaningless forms. Okay, I want to pause here for a minute because... Um, we're going to be talking about this in a future presentation too, but this whole idea of modern art and, and the way that they used to create these beautiful buildings, it, it was, they did it as, as an art form. Uh, they were, they were craftsmen. They, they put their souls into it. And now it's just like throw up another metal building and, and then they glorify the things that have become base and, and awkward, meaningless forms. Exactly. Check that one off the box. Um, 23, control art critics and directors of art museums. Our plan is to promote ugliness, repulsiveness, meaningless art. We're talking about that in a future presentation too. <laughs> um, 24, eliminate all laws governing obscenity by calling them censorship and a violation of free speech and free press. This is happening in our schools and our libraries right now. They're using the, the free speech as, and hiding under education to shove these things down our children's throats. Break down cultural standards of morality by promoting pornography and obscenity in books, magazines, motion pictures, radio, and TV. And you can just see that everywhere. I mean, you sell a hamburger, you sell it with sex. 27, infiltrate the churches and replace revealed religion with social religion. Do you get that? Social justice. Discredit the Bible and emphasize the need for intellectual maturity, which does not need a religious crutch. I can't even tell you how many times I hear the Bible and religion as quoted as a crutch. Um, 28, eliminate prayer or any phrase of religious expression in the schools on the ground that it violates the principle of separation of church and state. There is no such thing, just FYI. 
29. Discredit the American Constitution by calling it inadequate, old-fashioned, out of step with modern needs, um, a hindrance to cooperation between nations on a worldwide basis. All these things have been done. I'll just read one more. Discredit the, uh, this number 30, discredit the American founding fathers, present them as selfish aristocrats who had no concern for the common man. They were the common man fighting against Goliath. And they did it for us. I was uh, at a show last night. My, I'm heading out of town today. And so my husband asked me on a date. And I'm so glad he did. It was, it was really wonderful. And yesterday, of course, was 9-11. And um, it's something that we always cherish every year. Um, we all have personal experiences with 9-11. Ours was very, very close because my husband was stationed at the Pentagon on 9-11. And through a series of God-given miracles, he came home safe that day. That was the day that changed me. And that was the day that I went from being patriotic to being a patriot, understanding what that meant, understanding the price of freedom and willing to pay the cost. Well, last night at the beginning of the show, they showed this film that just summed up that whole entire statement I just made in a video. I'm like, how do I get that video? <laughs> Trying to get a hold of the people. I'm going to, I'm going to track it down when I'm back home. But it had these, um, these older who were, you don't know at the beginning, but they were um, people who, men who had fought in World War II. And they were all sitting throughout the theater and they would have a young person beside them. A couple of kids were sitting there on their, their Game Boys or um, what you call them anymore. Um, kids who were, who were distracted. They were just all just distracted. Yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. And this commercial comes on and it talks about those who sacrificed and it showed videos of, of things that they'd done and one by one these kids start to put things, the things down that there's distracting them and they're starting to look and pay attention to what's going on. And then it gets to a point in the film where it's talking about how they sacrificed and gave so much for, their, for, for the freedoms that we have. And the older, every one of the people in the audience, the, the older gentlemen looked down at the, at the kids, the young kids that were beside them and said, I did it for you. I did it for you. Sorry. I did it for you and I do it again. And this is how I feel every day. As hard as it is for me, as they say, I've had several members of Congress say, you're doing yeoman's work. <laughs> it's hard for me to leave home. Every time I leave, <laughs> it's hard for me to be gone. And my goal next year is like, this is my year of sacrifice and the Lord has promised abundance next year so I can be home more. But I think about all those those who had sacrificed so much before me. The, the, my husband, who was gone for so many years while he served in the Air Force away from our family. It was hard on us. It was hard on him. But you know what? The whole entire time he was serving, we had, well, not the whole time, but <laughs> later on in the serving, we had the internet. I could communicate with him. I knew if he was okay. They didn't have that in World War II. They didn't have that in the Revolutionary War. They had no idea. They were separated for sometimes years. I think about John and Abigail Adams and how they were separated for so many years. And they ended up actually spending more years together than they spent apart. But those young years were so difficult for them. And George Washington, all he ever wanted to do was go back home to Mount Vernon. And yet he kept being called to serve. So I'm not asking everyone to serve to the level that, that, that I'm serving, but I am asking that we would all consider what is it that we can do in our own lives, in our own homes, in the hearts of our children, to in our sphere of influence, to instill those principles of faith, virtue, and patriotism by first living them ourselves and, and being willing to make the sacrifices when we need to. And sometimes those sacrifices are pulling our children out of school or looking at, at other options to, to, to teach them or being more present in the schools or going to the school board meetings, uniting together in the community. I'm telling you more than ever, moms are looking for that support system because nothing else is supporting us. The whole society used to support home and family and the values and principles that made America the freest, most prosperous nation on earth. And now everything is going on the communist agenda, the communist platform, and all those things that we used to be able to count on, even our churches, are going against us. And you have to look 
hard to find a church that's actually preaching the word and not a slave to the collection plate. And I will tell you this, the churches that have the coffers running over, they're the ones who are teaching the truth, standing up for what's right. And I've been telling a lot of churches that because the more they try to play with the devil in a church, <laughs> the less it seems to work for them. All right, I'm going to jump back into the presentation real quick. And, oops, that's the wrong one. That's the right one. There we go. All right. How can a family promote the cause of liberty? I just put some scriptures here that um, we, we, we can look up later because we're, we're running out of time and I don't, I want to get through some of the really important conversations real quick that we're going to have, but um, take some time to, to just read these scriptures and, and, and ask yourself, how can family promote the cause of liberty? How can you do it within your home? How can you do it within your community, within your sphere of influence? And, and I will say again, that that comes largely from our own example, from how we're living ourselves, what's in our own hearts and the example that we're setting. It's like last week when I said, you know, my my first reaction when somebody cuts cuts me off is what is wrong with you? It's I have the right away. And that day that that woman cut me off, all I could just overcame me. All I could think of was she just must have had a really bad day. Something really bad must have happened to her. And I just had enormous compassion for her. And I loved the way I felt at that moment. And I said, I want to, I want to be that person. <laughs> I, that's the person that I want to that I want to be. Strong families make strong communities. So here are some questions that we can consider. What dangers come to society from the breakdown of the family? How can families work together to keep the republic? We even know what a republic is. Uh, we are not a democracy. We are a representative, representative form of government, which is a republic. We are a democratic republic, a constitutional republic is what we actually are. And the constitution is what? Uh, defends and protects our God-given rights and unites us as a people. The Republic are the representatives, which is why I tell people all the time, don't ever use the word elected official. There's no such thing. They are elected representatives. They are elected to represent you. When you call them officials, that puts you beneath them. You are equal to them. They actually are serving you. They are servants <laughs> serving the public. And we compensate them for their service because well, we should compensate them in some areas a lot less, and they should spend a lot less time in government halls. But that's a conversation for another day. Um, what influence did Dr. Carson's mother have on her children? So this is this is where I I uh, I want to jump in. And if you have not had an opportunity to learn of the story of Dr. Carson, um, I'm just going to give you a Reader's Digest version. How can we teach our children to speak and stand? for truth. Okay, we already went over the conscious goals and we're going to get back to that. All right. Here is what Here is what Ben Carson's mom did. She could not read. She could not write. She cleaned houses. They lived in Detroit in a, a very uh, poor community, very dangerous community. And as she was cleaning in one of the houses one day, she walked into the library and he had all these books, this huge library with all these books everywhere. And she asked the owner of the house, have you read all these books? And he said, most of them, some of them twice. And she thought, wow, this man is this successful and reading must be really important. And so she went home and her, her two boys were sitting there playing their games or whatever they were doing. And she said, um, we're, we're, you're going to start reading books and you're going to, you're going to read, I think it was like two or three books. And she had, they had to read a book a week or something like that and then do a, a book report. And he, they couldn't have TV time or anything else until they had these book reports in. And so they were reading the books and they would do the book report and then they would turn them in and she would sit there and look at it like, uh-huh. Okay. Well, well, what did you think about the book? And the whole time they're thinking she's reading the book reports. And so they're trying to make sure that they're the best book report ever. She can't read them. But it was that influence that she had on her sons that led them to be the great men that they are today. And he he says that all the time. And 
the influence that she had, the, the, the sacrifice that she made, she could have said, well, I don't, I don't have an education or I don't know anything or I can't do this or I can't do this. She never said I can't. And she t made sure that her sons knew to never say you can't or that you're not enough or that let someone tell you that you're not enough or that you can't. And that is the reason why they continue to, to stand up and fight for themselves to be the best that they could be. And look, look at what we were blessed with because of that. And the influence that Dr. Carson has had in, in the lives of so many uh, children and adults that he saved through his medical practice and all those that he's touched through his, his foundational principles of truth that he shares. It's just amazing, amazing the influence he's had. And I remember another, there's another book that came out I know somewhere around sometime around 2007, 2008, and it was called Brillionaire. And the the guy's name was Farah. Oh, I can't remember his last name. His first name is Farah. I can't remember his last name. But he he talks about how he became a millionaire and making it real. And he said when he was a kid, he came home one day, he was six years old, and he came home one day all upset and telling his uh mom and his grandma, they, you know, these these people, they have so much money and, and they don't, you know, just going on and on about what somebody else had and what he didn't have. And his his mom went up to him and she said, Farrah, those people put their pants on one leg at a time, just like you. There is nothing that can stop you except you yourself. Get out there and get your pants on. <laughs> so so when he was six years old, he was he cut out some cardboard of made his own business cards. And he was, he was started selling his mom's homemade syrup recipe and, and jars. And he was standing on the street. This guy came up to him and was so impressed with his business card he was handing him. He invited him. He said, we're starting this new company, this food company. Would you and some of your friends be willing to come and do food testing? Well, that rolled into him being a part of, of establishing his own uh, franchise of the company. And by 14, he had, um, he was a millionaire. And the first $50 that he raised selling that syrup door to door and on the corner, he took his mom out to dinner. So this is the powerful influence that we can have in our homes with our, with our husbands, with our children, with our, the people within our sphere of influence, our friends and our family. And sometimes it's, it's just, as, it's just praying for them and unconditional love, never, never ending unconditional love. And, and that, that's the kind of thing that we can give in, in our home. All right. So I'm going to jump back in the presentation here. Okay. I was talking to, um, as I talked to people, you know, I told them about the simpleness of the way and they're like, okay, what about elections, what about policy, that kind of thing. Well, simplicity with perseverance. So there's a story. Let's see. I don't know what page it's on, but it, it's in the college meeting resource guide. And I encourage you to read it. Um, it's just, it was my own experience and it was um, simplicity with perseverance on page 34. And, and it starts out, I stood on the scale staring at the numbers, two pounds. It couldn't be right. I'd been walking every day, five to six days a week. I was eating healthier and having smaller meals more often. I was even riding my bike to places near my house instead of taking the car. Two months of this and all I had to show for it was two pounds. So I could go on and I could read the whole entire article, but I will tell you that four months later, I had lost 30 pounds, that I looked great. Um, traveling has added it all back on. <laughs> and then some, so I'm getting back into the swing of trying to take care of myself while I'm on the road. But the point of the, of the story was what instant gratification, instant results. This commun these communist goals, this communist platform, it didn't start overnight. It has been incremental over a course of several years, feeding us with little small doses of communism until it's completely overtaken us. And now we're fighting it face to face. So these two stories came to my mind immediately when I thought about simplicity. Naaman, if you remember in the Bible, Naaman was a, it was, he was a very prominent leader in the Roman army and he got leprosy and he heard about this, this prophet, everybody called him a prophet, Elijah, who could heal people. And so he sent his servant to go to Elisha and say, um, you know, would, would you come and heal me? Would you come meet with me so you can heal me? Well, Elijah told him to go and um, I think it was three times go uh, bathe, bathe in dirtiest river <laughs> in the Middle East. And he was like, what? He was so offended. He was like, 
why does he not know who I am? He doesn't even have the courtesy to come and 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 heal me. Why? And he was so upset and offended. And his servant said, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing to create this miracle, you would have done it. But you won't do this simple thing. And Naaman humbled himself and bathed himself in the dirtiest river in the Middle East. And he came out free of leprosy. It's these simple things that God asks us to do. These simple things that we um, follow in our lives to promote the principles and values we want that make all the difference. Um, Moses is another great story. The people were obviously being bad again, because that was the cycle for 40 years. <laughs> Just like two and three-year-olds constantly having to be retaught. And one of those times, there was a snake infestation. And these were biting snakes that were killing a lot of people. Well, Moses put this, he, God told him to put this a serpent on the stick and on a staff and, and, and rise it up for the people. And so the people would look. And when, and when they looked at it, they would be healed. If you can see in this picture, all those people walking away, all they had to do was look. And they didn't even look. So last week we talked about the four things that we can look to. And it was um, look to God, look to family, look to the Constitution, and look to elect good and righteous leaders. Um, notice God is at the top. The future of America is in our hands. This is one of my absolutely favorite quotes by Frederick Douglass. It is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. It is never too late to start. Our children, our grandchildren, those children within our sphere of influence, and the mothers within our sphere of influence who have hold of those beautiful children. We can build stronger children. Everyone else is trying to repair broken men. And I'm not saying that's a lost cause. But we have a whole lot more traction when we start at the root than if we just start to chop off, try to chop off the limbs. So here are the assignments for next week. Um, uh, from this week, I would encourage you to watch the video of Ben Carson's speech at the National Prayer Breakfast. Trusty can send that out to you. Uh, and if you have an opportunity, it's not on here. I thought I put it on here, but I guess I forgot. Or maybe it was on, maybe it's on next week's. But there's a great book, um, a great, it's a book and a film. I would encourage you to get the film. And you probably can see it on Amazon or one of the other online platforms. And it's called Gifted Hands. It is the story of Ben Carson and uh, the influence that he had and the influence that his mother had on him. Very, very powerful film. And I found it when we were when we were putting the information together for this um, re resource guide. I was doing laundry, sitting on my bed, folding clothes and just turned on the TV to watch a movie. And um, Gifted Hands was on. It was about 15 minutes in already. And by the time the end of the movie got, I was like, what is this guy? this and then like a week later he speaks at the um, national prayer breakfast and blows everybody's mind so it was just fantastic um, family enrichment activities we have um, an art project that you can do inside the um, college Green resource guide every single presentation has a family enrichment activity that you can do um, and the, they all have a principle behind them that you can help the, the children understand these principles as well um, breed the emperor's new clothes with your children recognize the truth and lies. Communism is a lie. It is a deception. It is a religion. It is a complete absence of God. There is no truth. There is no family. There's no freedom. There's no God. There's no church in religion and in communism. No religion. Not, there, none of that is in communism. No individual anything. Our children will recognize the truth when we help them see and give them the courage through through books and stories and personal experiences to help them stand up to the lies and recognize them. Preparation for next week. Um, watch the video Invisible Woman. You will love that, I promise you. Um, and the video Hands of Heaven. That is a song that we did um, a couple of years back. And it's it, it's pulls from the same principles that we've been learning and these last two presentations and read a women's influence. If you have an opportunity, it is a chapter expert from excerpt from women, America's last best hope. And we are going to be talking about the stories of the 
mothers in those um in that chapter and it's it's not it's not very long but i i you can just skip right to the stories within the chapter if you want of these amazing women and what they did uh in throughout history so all those people that keep talking about the downtrodden women who were servient to the men yeah that wasn't a thing just saying so you can read the stories of these incredibly courageous women and mothers and what they did Okay, well, that is today's presentation next week. It will be um, Ladies First.